You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Good morning. I hope everybody's doing well today. I'm glad everybody was able to find enough gas to get here. Uh, last December, I was able to preach, but because of coronavirus, it was to an empty building. And, uh, well, it looks a lot better with you all here. I'll tell you that. I've been at Hive Park for about a year now. And uh, I just want to say that I love you all. I'm thankful for y'all, the Christian Fellowship. Uh, the true Christian fellowship that I found here is uh, is very special and very deep. And I thank God for you all. I thank God for Pastor Jeff, who was a mentor to me uh, in, in the same way that Paul was to Timothy. And I am thankful for the gift that God has given me in this church. And with that said, let us go to God in prayer. Father. You are holy, holy, holy God. Father, you are wonderful and gracious and mighty. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have a hope of salvation and the grace of Christ that he gave to us in his death and resurrection. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that you have drawn us together, Father. We thank you for this church, this body, this congregation, Father. We pray, Father, that you would bless the, the speaking of your word. You would bless the hearing of the word, Father. And, Father, we pray that uh, you would be honored in, the, in our time today and that we will glorify you this morning. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. In Genesis chapter 4, Abel, in faith, offered God a better sacrifice than his brother Cain. And out of jealousy, Cain killed him. In the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in faith, refused to reject God by bowing to a, a statue that Nebuchadnezzar had made. And in return, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. John the Baptist, in faith, refused to call what God had called evil good in regards to King Herod marrying his brother's sister, and in return, he was beheaded. After denying Christ three times, Peter's, great, Peter's faith grew to where when he was being crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to die in the same way as his Lord. Later, in Rome, under the brutal persecutions of Marcus Aurelius, a young man named Germanicus was delivered over to be torn apart by wild beasts. And he displayed so much faith as he was being ripped to shreds that many in the audience became Christ's followers after seeing such faith. Later, a man by the name of Athanasius was sent into exile 
by followers of a heretic named Arius because Athanasius refused to deny that Jesus Christ is Lord. John Huss, whose nickname was Goose, defied the Pope and the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And it is said that he was singing songs as he was being burned at the stake. And this is where we get the phrase, your goose is cooked. John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most influential books in the English language. He wrote this while he was in jail for preaching the gospel. George Lyle was born into slavery, but in faith worked to become knowledgeable of the scripture. And after being free, went to Jamaica and became the first missionary from America. Richard Warmbrand was imprisoned and brutalized for preaching that communism was incompatible with Christ. Later, Pastor Han from China was labeled a terrorist and killed by a North Korean death squad because he was sharing the gospel with people fleeing North Korea. Many of those that he shared the gospel with later went back to North Korea to take the gospel to the hopeless that lived there. John Paul Sankagui, in faith, refused to leave his church in the Central Republic of Africa as Muslim hatred towards Christ grew. And in 2017, his church was burned to the ground and he was killed. Rocio Pino shared her faith in Christ to her neighbors in Colombia. This drew, this, this drew the, the attention of the local Marxist group leaders who sent guerrilla fighters to kill her. All these men and women were from different places. They were from different times in history, from different languages, different backgrounds, different cultures. But they have three things in common. One, they were sinners saved by Christ. Two, by God's grace, they endured in faith during persecution. And then three, they are all our ancestors in the faith. In our passage today, Paul reminds Timothy to remember his ancestors as he continues the gospel ministry. In the same way, the example of our Christian ancestors, of their faith, should motivate us to grow in faith, to share in the suffering, and to keep the gospel pure for the next generations. We are continuing our series through Timothy, and we're beginning the first chapter in 2 Timothy. Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, 
but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been made has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The first point we ought to make today is that our Christian ancestors have left us examples of faith by the grace of God. Our Christian ancestors have left us examples of faith by the grace of God. Paul always begins his letters, his letters in the New Testament with a similar style of greeting. In the first one, two, three verses of the letter, he gives a greeting, telling who he is, telling who he's writing to. And it's usually a similar formula, so sometimes we skip over it. But there's always a unique phrase in each letter that helps us to catch the tone of the rest of the letter. In this, uh, in the beginning of 2 Timothy, the unique phrase is found in verse 1, where it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, the life that is in Christ Jesus. While Paul is writing the book of 2 Timothy, he's in prison. And he'd been in prison before. He wrote letters while he was in prison. But those were a bit different. For instance, when he wrote Philippians, he was in prison, but he was sure that he would be released. Here in 2 Timothy, however, he is sure that he's going to die. Chapter 4, verse 6 of this letter, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He knew what was going on. He knew what time it was. He knew he was going to die. And so this letter has a tone of him passing the torch, of him thinking about the life that is in Christ, the permanent, perfect life, as opposed to this life, and passing on the torch, the ministry, the gospel, the duty to Timothy. Giving Timothy last words of advice, last commands, last bits of wisdom to carry Timothy on after Paul has died. Paul tells Timothy in verse 3, Thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. This clear conscience, or we could say a sincere faith, as he described Timothy's faith, it means that Paul didn't just say he was a Christian. He didn't just give lip service, but he actually acted out his faith in public. And that faith was motivated not by self-gain or selfish ambition or to please men, but to please God. It was motivated out of a spirit of gratitude from being saved by Christ. And he says, as did my ancestors. Now, Paul's ancestors would have been the Jewish believers, the Jewish Old Testament saints. A lot of times we might try to separate 
the church and the people of Israel. But the true people of Israel and the true church are one people. The only difference in our faith is that the people in the Old Testament, the saints, didn't know the name of the Messiah. They believed that God would send the Messiah to save them, but they didn't know the name. We, Paul, and us, we know his name. His name is Jesus. And Paul is reminding Timothy, or telling Timothy, that he is praying for him constantly, night and day. He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. The last time they saw each other would have been a hard time to depart. They were leaving each other. They have this relationship, this father-son relationship. And it seems that Timothy was filled with tears, right? He was overcome with emotion as Paul was leaving. And Paul was telling Timothy that this father-son relationship is mutual, that he longs to see him too, and that he will be filled when he sees him. We are our family here, and we're to have this type of love and longing to see each other. It's been a, a long pandemic, right? But this past few weeks, as people are starting to come back more and more, there's more of a sense of joy as we're starting to see each other again after this long time of being apart. When we leave each other each Sunday, there should be a longing to get back here each Sunday to see each other, to refresh each other, and to be filled with joy at being with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul goes on, and he tells, he reminds him of his ancestry, his line of believers that began with Lois, his grandmother, who had a sincere faith, and then who passed that sincere faith on to his mother, Eunice, who passed that sincere faith on to Timothy. Now, we're not saved just because our parents were saved. We're not saved because our grandparents were saved. But what a blessing it is to have parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles who pass the gospel to us, who teach us at a young age who Jesus is and what he has done to save us. Thank God for a legacy of believers. Thank God for those who are witnesses to us of the power of the gospel of Jesus. This is a blessing. But not everybody has this similar blessing. There are some, maybe you, who are the first person in your family to be a believer, the first person to come to Christ. One of my former pastors, him, his wife, and his children were believers. Outside of them, no one in his entire family was a believer. But someone led him to Christ. And someone led that person to Christ. And someone led that person to Christ, and so on. And so he has an ancestry. Even though it's not biological, he has an ancestry in Christ. And you have an ancestry in Christ. In fact, we all have Christian ancestors in Christ. There's this thing called Ancestry.com. And I thought it'd be pretty cool to find out who my ancestors were. But then I found out you have to send in your DNA, and I'm not doing that. So... I'm trying to talk my sister into sending her DNA in. Because I know whoever her ancestors are, are going to be mine. So, if you truly are a believer, God is truly your father. 
God is truly my father. We are a family, a true family. This isn't a metaphor. We're not like a family. We are family, period. And, our, and every family has, a, has an ancestor. And we, the family of God, have ancestors. And this ancestry line is not based on geographical location. It's not based on culture or background or skin color or language. It's not based on our blood. It is based on the blood of Christ alone. In the Apostles' Creed, one of the lines is the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. That word Catholic is not talking about the Pope. The word Catholic is our word. It's the Christian word. And that means the universal church of Christ. The church of Christ throughout all the world, throughout all of history. This is the church of Christ, the Catholic church. These are our ancestors. These men and women who have fought the good fight, who have finished the race, who have left us examples, are our ancestors. But these men and women have left us examples of faith only by the grace of God. It is only by God's grace that they endure. These men and women that I mentioned, they weren't great men and women of God. They were regular men and women of a great God, the Lord God Almighty. It is by the grace of God alone, as it says in Hebrews 11 and 34, they were made strong out of weakness. And in Hebrews 12, it describes them as a cloud of witness that surrounds us. They have left us examples, something to strive to. And looking at these ancestors, these Christian ancestors, and the example of faith by the grace of God, we should be moved to action. Second, the first action we should be moved to is to grow in faith. As we see our ancestors, look at them. Look at what they did. We should grow in faith. Paul says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame." The gift of God. The idea here is a little smoldering spark and fanning it into a big fire, right? We have been given a gift. Paul is reminding Timothy of the gift that he's been given and telling him to fan it into flame, to grow it. Now, the immediate context for Timothy would be pastor and teacher. Timothy was called to pastor and to teach. And this laying on of hands is would have been the ordination. Now, this ordination is simply a recognition of what God has done. Paul is not giving uh, Timothy power, but only recognizing what God has given him. He's recognizing, he's making an outward sign of an inward reality that God has given Timothy to give to preaching and teaching. This is much like baptism, right? Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. We are not saved because we're baptized. We get baptized as a sign that we have truly been saved. We have truly repented and believed. We have truly died to ourselves and been raised to walk in newness of life. And baptism is the sign that shows that. Now, we all have different gifts. God has given us all different gifts. If you are a Christian, you have a gift. Whether you work it out or not, you have a gift that you are called to work out. It could be teaching. It could be leading. It could be serving. It could be uh, hospitality, encouraging. But the central gift of God that he gives to all of us is faith. 
saving faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So the gift of God is faith. And we are to cultivate this gift, this faith, to grow it into maturity. And to do this, there's three ways we can grow our faith, right? Just like as a farmer grows his crops, there are three ways that we can grow our faith. First is to study the word of God. If we want to know God, where else would I go but the word that he gave me, right? If my daddy right, tells me about himself, I'm not going to go listen to what somebody else told me about him. I'm going to listen to him. God has given us his word. He didn't have to, but he gave it to us out of love. And the more we studied God's word, not just read simple devotion, but study the word of God, the more we get into his word and get his word into us, the more our faith will grow. There are men and women in our ancestry, our Christian ancestors, who have fought, who have died, who have sacrificed, so that you can have the Bible in your language, in your hand, whenever you want it. And if we refuse to read the Bible, to study the word of God, we're dishonoring their sacrifice. We're dishonoring what they did to get this word to us. Furthermore, we're dishonoring God who gave it to us. This word is necessary for us to grow. Second, we must stay in prayer to God. Constant prayer. A.W. Pink said, prayer is not so much an act as it is an attitude, an attitude of dependency on God. As we mature in faith, we don't become more independent of God, but we become more dependent because we see just how much we need God. Maturity isn't, all right, I'm good now. I'm going to do my own thing. No, maturity in faith is realizing I'm a sinner. I'm a wretch, but God is salvation. God can sustain me. So we must stay in prayer. John Owen said, if we don't abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. If we're to fight against sin and if we're to grow in our faith, we must pray to God constantly. Christian fellowship, being with the brothers and sisters of God. In a marathon, there are races. And there, there, are, there are different stations with water. As runners run through, they're given water, and the runners are able to refresh themselves. Being with each other is like a drink of water in a long race. It refreshes us. So as we leave, we're able to, to go back out in the spirit and in and, and faith and strength until the next time we come together and are refreshed again. We're called to work out our salvation. Philippians 2, 12-13, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul then goes on to say in verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy seems to have had a, a flaw, which was to be shy or timid. But Paul is telling him, don't be shy, don't be timid, don't be afraid. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. Power here is not so much authority or rule, but more of truth. T. 
Timothy has the truth of the gospel that he is able to speak in the midst of persecution. And then he has love. He's been given a spirit of love, which is to balance the truth. Truth without love is like eating peanut butter without drinking any milk. You're going to choke. But love without the truth is just like drinking water and having nothing to eat. You got to have both. You got to have the truth of God with the love and the compassion to, to give it to others. And then self-control, humility, so that we don't become puffed up with what we know. These three things, power, love, and self, this is what we have. And as we mature in faith, these things will become more uh, visible. We will be able to see these things clearer. Third, Paul tells Timothy to be bold and to share in suffering. He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about Lord Jesus Christ, nor me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. First, he tells Timothy what Christ has done for him. God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God didn't have to save us. We deserved nothing but hell. But God saved us out of his grace, out of the abundance of his mercy and riches and his goodness by his grace. Jonah 2, 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. And by grace, he has given it to us. And we have done nothing to earn it. It's not by our works, but only by his grace. It's not by our works. We did nothing to contribute. Jonathan Edwards said, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made salvation necessary. And H.B. Charles said in salvation, we do our part and God does his. We do the sinning and God does the saving. God saved us. Out of his grace because he loves us why I don't know but because he has chosen to love us and pour out his mercy to us in Christ Jesus not only did Paul remind Timothy of what Christ has done but who Christ is he says which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel this Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the mighty conqueror, the merciful savior, the one whom the mightiest demons fear, the one who sits enthroned upon all the galaxies, the righteous judge who gave death the death sentence, the source and fountain of eternal life, the supreme ruler over all space, time, and creation. This is the one whom Timothy was to suffer for, and this is the one for whom we are to suffer for. It is a gift, it is a pleasure to suffer for Christ. Philippians 1 verse 29, it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, but suffer for him as well. It's a gift. Why is it a gift? That sounds backwards, right? Sounds backwards to be given suffering. But listen to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 13. Rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If we share in Christ's sufferings, we will also share in his glory. And why? Why? Why 
would we want to? Why would we suffer the wrath of men, the wrath of the world for Christ? Because Christ suffered the wrath of God for us. Christ, we deserve the wrath of God, but Christ took that. So now we no longer suffer the wrath of the one who can kill body and soul in hell. Now we just suffer the wrath of those who just killed a body. We just have the wrath of men. It's not that bad compared to what Christ suffered on the cross. Polycarp, one of the early church fathers, he was about to be martyred. And the uh, people were nice to him before they set him on fire. And gave him a chance to repent, to, to deny Christ. And Polycarp said, how shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? In the midst of suffering, how shall we blaspheme my king who has saved us? Now, here in Lumberton, North Carolina, we live in relative peace, right? There are believers in India, in China, in Cuba, who are in danger for worship, for gathering and worshiping together. We do it freely and put it on the internet. We are able to come in peace. But there are different forms of suffering, right? We suffer from false teaching, right? We are living in a culture that is full of false teaching, that's ever encroaching and trying to shake our faith, our knowledge of Christ. We are living in a mentally hard place as a Christian, where you turn on TV, you turn on news, there's so much pain and suffering. And then there's other forms of physical suffering. Because remember, as we said last week, we are at war. And the war that we are fighting against is against our flesh. It's against Satan and against the world. So now, the suffering is not so bad for us. How much more should we rejoice? How much should we show Christ honoring suffering? Because we have ancestors, right? Who have passed the faith down to us. But one day we are going to be the ancestors who have passed the faith on. And the ones who are going to have the most suffering here are in the future. The future generations. And the way they learn to, to deal with suffering in a Christ-honoring way, starts with us, who don't face so much suffering, honoring Christ. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. If we look at the world, if we look at the suffering, if we look at all these things, it can be very depressing. Corey Tim Boone said, if you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. But if you look at God, you would be at rest. By God's grace, he began our salvation before the ages began. And by his grace, he will bring us to glory and perfect peace. Fourth, we must keep the gospel pure for the next generation. Verses 13 and 14 are almost parallel. They're almost, they're very similar. Uh, in verse 13, it says, follow in verse 14, it says guard. The idea for both of these is to keep, to protect, to preserve, keep. In verse 13, Paul tells Timothy to keep the pattern of sound words that you heard from me, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 14, he says, 
guard the good deposit entrusted to you, which again is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling Timothy, keep the gospel of Christ in the faith and love that are in Christ by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Keep the gospel of Christ. The only difference is how, by, in what way are we to keep the gospel in the faith and love, and by in what power can we keep the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. But begs the question: as we're to keep the gospel pure, what is the gospel? If you turn on the television, if you turn on YouTube, if you turn on the radio, there's so much preaching and singing and teaching that is false, that waters the gospel down, as a, presents a man-centered gospel. So what is the true gospel? Because in order to pass it down, we must be able to express it ourselves. We have to be able to say the gospel. So what is the gospel? The gospel is because of our sin, we were separated from God and deserved his wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is truly God, who is truly man, who lived the perfect life, who died on the cross, taking the wrath of God for all who trust in him. And he rose from the dead so that all who trust in him will have eternal life with God. The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel isn't about us. It's not about man. The gospel is about Jesus. It's about what God has done in Jesus to save us out of his grace. Many preaching and songs and teaching is man-centered. We humans, we love ourselves. And we have a tendency to lean towards man-centered because that's what we want. But if we listen to man-centered gospel, preaching, man-centered singing, if we read man-centered books, then we're going to become more and more man-centered. The gospel that we believe is going to be diluted. And as we pass it along, it's not going to be the pure gospel. This is like a race, right? One person runs around the track and then hands the baton off. When we hand the baton off, we don't want to be dented. We don't want to be broken. We want it to be correct and right. And so we are to pass uh, the pure gospel on. We have a standard for preaching. We, can't, we, shouldn't, we should be careful of what preaching or singing we listen to. Because we have a standard for preaching. And that standard is Pastor Jeff. Every Sunday, he comes and he preaches the word. He preaches a, set, a passage. He doesn't read a verse and they go talk about what he wants to. He preaches a sermon on that passage. And he teaches us what it means. He teaches us what that has to do with the gospel and how we're to live it out. If what we listen to outside of here does not match the standard set by Pastor Jeff, we need to change what we listen to outside. No matter how popular, no matter how trendy they might be, be careful. Because we don't want to be man-centered. The more Christ-centered, we are. The more Christ-centered the sermons we listen to, the songs we listen to, the books we read, the more Christ-centered we are, the more Christ-centered and true our faith is, the gospel is, and the more pure the gospel is that we pass on to the next generation. We don't need to dress the gospel up to make it hip or to make it cool. The gospel is good enough.
Charles Spurgeon said, let the pure gospel go forth and all its lion like majesty. And it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of its adversaries. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe in the past, in the present, and in the future. Now, I've mentioned a lot of names. I quoted a lot of people. And there's a lot more names that we could add. But there's only one name that truly matters. There's only one name in all of heaven and all of earth by which men are to be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, do so today. Why wait? We don't know if the next generation is coming. Trust in Christ today. The testimony of all these men and women say one thing. Christ is Lord. Trust in Christ. And then grow in your faith. Share in the suffering of Christ. And let us keep this gospel pure as we pass it on to the next generations for the glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that our salvation does not depend on us, but it was entirely by your grace and executed by your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for our Lord who has not only saved us as individuals, but us together as a family, Father. And Father, we pray that Christ would come, that we would, he would bring us into his glory. For there is no suffering, there is only joy in his presence. In his holy name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.